that kind of aspect, you know, the people in charge don't even understand this technology most of the time, even though as states they might be using this technology. It's, you know, the geek squad um, in the surveillance agencies that are really pulling the strings on these things. It's not the people in charge. It's not Boris Johnson or Donald Trump or whoever happens to be sitting in the hot seat at the time. Right, do you want to know what's exciting about today, Amber? Go on, what's exciting about today? Oh, come on, you should know what's exciting about today. No, I don't actually. What is it? It's the start of the Olympics. Oh, okay. How was okay. that passed you by? You know what? I'm really, really, really bad. Like, I don't really watch an awful lot of telly, so sometimes I'm just kind of a bit behind with, like, current affairs and just the world. But, um, oh, that is exciting, Current affairs in the world. It's, you know quite large news <laughs> yeah but, two pretty oh, big missed, things i missed that minor detail on page 14 of the paper no the olympic starts today opening oh. ceremony at 12 o'clock in the uk 8, 8 8 p.m local time in tokyo and i was just on google and they've got this really cool this is very geeky but they've got in homage like a, a very 90s um like olympics game but in a proper japanese uh video game style cartoon that you can play you click on the google logo Oh, okay. Which is seriously quite addictive. I'll have to go check that out. See, the thing is, I knew I knew it was obviously coming up soon. I knew it was in like the next couple of weeks, but I didn't know the exact day. Um, exactly. But now, now I do. Yeah, now I do, and I will actually go and have a look at that. But oh, okay, that's exciting. What what um like events are you sort of into, or will you be following? Oh, it's the Olympics, so I'm going to watch a whole load of sport I know nothing about and pretend that I'm an expert, right? That's what everyone does. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. something cross-country rifle, something or other. Yes, this person, he's been, apparently, he's been very good for many years. Oh, yeah, no, I'll probably do the exact same. I'll probably stand there and judge as if I could do better. Like, I know I absolutely cannot, so... What, what I love about the Olympics, though, is that every now and then you get someone who's, like, in their mid-40s who only took up a sport, like, three years ago. And it kind of gives you this hope that you could still be an Olympic champion. Obviously not in the, like, the 100 metres, but in some random event that you've never heard of. You could be an Olympian. That is very true. I had that after the 2012 Olympics. I was suddenly so inspired. I was like, I am going to be a gymnast. Like, and I, I fully believed it. And even to this day, I mean, it's not happened. And it probably will never happen. But it's a nice idea, right? <laughs> no, I'm really sorry to put it to you, but you'll pass your cell by that as far as gymnastics go. Yeah. They, all, they all retire by that. Apart from Simone Biles, who's, a, who's an absolute amazing freak of nature. Um, well, most of them retire by the time they're like 18, 19. Yeah, a girl can dream. But um, yeah, I will follow it anyway. and. Um, and sort of, yeah, I'll, I'll sort of pretend I'm in it. There we go. Right, today's guest, Rebecca Rumble, we're talking all about Pegasus. We'll jump into that interview. Apologies for any background noise. I'm in Manchester at the minute, so we don't have our usual recording equipment. But bear with us, listen to the interview, and then we'll come back with some content. So I'm chatting to Rebecca Rumble from My Society. Rebecca, you've been on the podcast before, but for anyone who hasn't listened to that show where you were talking about data privacy and uh, Oracle in particular, um, What's my society? What's your background? Why Why would I choose to talk to you about Pegasus? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, thank you for inviting me back. I can't quite believe it. I never thought I'd get a return invitation after last time. Um, so, yeah, I'm Rebecca. Um, I'm head of research at a civic tech organization called My Society. Uh, we develop open source software and digital tools that help citizens to hold their governing institutions to account. Uh, and we work with groups all over the world to, to develop those. So 
we are very, very invested in in accountability, in transparency, um, and enabling people to to yeah get the best out of their institutions and and be able to ask those institutions questions uh, when they feel that they've behaved inappropriately. Um, so between that uh, and between my own personal lawsuit against Oracle and Salesforce for the misuse of uh, third party tracking cookies. Um, which is a violation of privacy for anyone that has those cookies. Um, I think, yeah, we, we could probably have a good chat about privacy and technology. So, look, I mean, I, I was kind of being slightly uh, flippant when I when I say that, but um, look, stands to reason that this week, I imagine, has been quite busy because pe- people will be questioning how transparent uh, governing or governing bodies rather are uh, and and elected officials are. Um, but should we, should we backtrack and just first of all start with what is Pegasus for anyone who's who's not really sure about what this is all all about? So Pegasus is essentially malware. Um, I'm sure all of your listeners, many of them, probably know far more than me about malware, spyware, and um, the actual sort of technical underpinnings of, of how to build those things. But essentially, you know, this is this is software that is invading your privacy, um, whether it's placed on your computer or your phone. Um, spyware is that, you know, to do exactly that, to spy on you uh, without your knowledge. Um, Pegasus is one of the most egregious, I think, examples of this kind of software because it is not built by random people on the dark web. You know, this is a multi-billion dollar company that is building software for the purpose of selling it uh, to to state actors and state agencies, uh, whoever that might be. Now, this might be a really basic question, but why isn't this illegal? <laughs> I think there are, there are quite a few different answers to that. Um, I think one, regulation always trails behind innovation. Um, this is you know, this is the story of the internet. I think, you know, it's created and it's out there and it's doing something way before any legislator has any kind of concerns about what's actually happening in the real world. Um, You know, we see this, we see this again and again across tech, you know, and whether it's social media and misinformation or whether it's surveillance or tracking, um, you know, regulators, legislators, they cannot keep they cannot keep up because these are politicians, not tech experts. Um, so there's there's that kind of aspect. You know, the people in charge don't even understand this technology most of the time, even though as states they might be using this technology. It's, you know, the geek squad um, in the surveillance agencies that are really pulling the strings on these things. It's not the people in charge. It's not Boris Johnson or Donald Trump or whoever happens to be sitting in the hot seat at the time. It's the people that advise them. So there's that aspect. Um, the other issue is obviously tech is, is it's beyond, it goes beyond borders. Um, it's very, very difficult, very difficult to make something illegal. Um, across every single country in the world, just because we might make something illegal in the UK or in the EU, or we might agree amongst ourselves to to make it illegal in in a sort of partnership of countries, you know that that basically just means we're leaving a vacuum for Russian or Chinese or, or other states uh, to kind of fill that gap 
uh, and provide that technology. So it's very, very difficult to get the cooperation of every country um, to, to say, right, okay, yeah, no, this is not okay, and we are not going to allow this tech to, to proliferate or to, or to be allowed to be sold legitimately. Um, so there's a very difficult, a very difficult situation there where you cannot get the cooperation you need to actually make it mm. illegal everywhere. And, and legitimacy would be appear to be NSO, the Israeli company who are, who are, who are building and, and selling this this tool. That would appear to be their argument. They say that they sell it to legitimate, vetted governments. Um, that has a number of question marks, right? Because there would appear to be organisations who are distancing themselves from this product, including Amazon. To the best of my knowledge, I hadn't realised that Amazon were an elected body. And also, who then decides which elected bodies really know what they should be doing or should have a tool this powerful? I, I get that we need to stop terrorism and that is you know that's one of the the benefits of having something like this that you can try and stop atrocities happening and whatever else but there would seem to be so many holes it's 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 kind of unreal right totally uh and and define legitimacy who who decides which is a legitimate state government who who decides which is a legitimate agency to, to sell this to it's nso um and you know this kind of self-regulation generally in tech as in many other fields leads to people saying okay well they're legitimate because they're going to pay me a load of money for this um or they've promised you know they've pinky sworn that they're absolutely not going to use this against normal people they are only going to use it against terrorists but i think you know you look down the list of leaked names who were persons of interest uh for pegasus to be used on their devices and these aren't these aren't terrorists you know these aren't bin laden's followers these are journalists these are lawyers these are human rights activists you know these are people that have legitimately tried to question their states um or tried to challenge the the status quo and are being actively surveilled and potentially harassed just for doing their legitimate role now someone might sit here and they might go well you know i'm I'm a student, I'm 24, I'm 36, I'm whatever I might be. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not involved in anything illegal. You know, why should I care? It's so disappointing, actually, over the last couple of days since these revelations have come out. Uh, people who I'd consider pretty tech literate and, and pretty um, you know, deep thinkers um, I've seen people like this coming out and saying, oh, well, you know, if you don't, if you're not doing anything wrong, then you've got nothing to hide. Um, why should this matter to anyone? But that's absolutely not the case. Again, you look down these lists of people that, that are being targeted or potentially were, were earmarked for, for targeting uh, by this software. And they're not doing anything wrong either. And again, you know, we go back to the earlier argument, well, who decides what's legitimate? Who decides what you're doing is wrong? Uh, you might not think what you're doing is wrong, but your government might think differently. Um, and, and the problem is when you're being surveilled 24 hours a day, when every click and every Google search is, is being tracked, when every picture is being uh, shared, when every conversation potentially is being recorded, uh, do you police what you say and what you do 24 hours a day, especially when you don't think anyone else is looking? You know, I mean, just your Google search history alone might look questionable if you're looking for something to be questionable. 
Um, it absolutely does not matter whether you think you've done anything wrong. It's whether someone else thinks you're doing something wrong or whether someone else is trying to build up a dossier of information so that if you do do anything wrong in the future, they've already got something on you. Um, it's utterly terrifying. And, and I really think that anyone that is not worried about this um, is burying their head in the sand a little bit. And I mean, the, the, the information that's come out of this report by The Guardian has, has proved as well that this is being used by um, ruling political parties to target the opposition parties. So I suppose that they're, they're also if someone, even if someone thinks it indirectly, sorry, doesn't directly affect them indirectly, it could affect the entire course of a country of who's in charge of the legitimacy and freedom of elections, right? Yeah, this is just one more tool in the toolbox of authoritarians or dictators um, who, yeah, they want to chip away at any opposition, whether it's democratic or not. Uh, you know, these are tools that are very, very useful for oppressive states. You know, these are tools that are very useful for for states to scare people into silence, to scare people into to leaving the country. Um, and again, you know, who who decides? There, there's no kind of board that is overseeing this and saying, well, actually, no, this country has abused this, so they should definitely, you know, not be allowed to use it anymore. Um, you know, NSO is saying that it's it's only giving it to people with their promise, you know, solemn promise that they're only going to be using it for extreme circumstances for, for real security reasons. But it's very clear when you look at that leaked list of names that that's not the case. It's not like NSO has gone to any of these states and said, I think we'll be having that back, please, because you've clearly misused it. Uh, and this was against what we said we'd give it to you for. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any accountability anywhere here. Um, and again, because our kind of world leaders, our elected representatives, I don't think are really, they're not really knowledgeable about enough about this kind of area to, to anticipate these issues. They keep getting caught by surprise. Now, if you are worried about this, right, how do you protect yourself? Because it seems to be able to infiltrate the latest iPhone without a single click. And that's proved hugely embarrassing to Apple and hurt their share price, uh, um, given the way that the iPhone has been marketed to people. But it also seems to make a mockery of end-to-end encryption platforms like WhatsApp or, or Signal. So what what can someone do if they're worried to make sure, hang on a minute, I, I'm protected, my family's protected, I, I'm whether or not I believe I might be a person of interest, at least I'm doing what I can against uh, tools out there like this to... to um, to continue without without real concern. Honestly, I, I'm I hate to say it, but there's very little you can do. Um, I, you know, failing not having a phone. Um, that there's not a lot that you can do. I mean, everything is connected now. I can remember I tried to buy a speaker the other day that wasn't a, you know didn't have a voice command. Um, impossible. Um, everything is connected. It might not just be your phone. The, there's everything in your household that potentially can be a listening device. So it's really, really difficult to protect yourself. I mean, it used to be like the last couple of years, Apple have positioned themselves as the go-to provider for privacy. Um, and they've done very, very well out of that. A lot of people, even you know, contemporary privacy writers have been saying, actually, Apple is going to be the best one if you're going to use technology. Um, but as you just said, you know, 
Pegasus doesn't even break a sweat. Um, it just goes straight in and hoovers everything up and you don't even know about it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Apple, I think, is maybe going to have to come down off its high horse um, and admit that it still has work to do on this because the problem, I think uh, the big problem that we've all got is that we're on very few operating systems. Um, the, the way things like Pegasus work is that if you've got access to, to one device, you know, if you found a chink in the armor of iOS, then that's a chink in the armor of every single iOS device. Same with Android. Um, and there are not very many operating systems. There's not a lot of diversity out there in the market. So you can scale up one, you know, one fault very, very quickly. Um, actually, you know, diversity in the marketplace might actually be the thing that would slow these mm. things down. It would be frustrating for consumers. Um, but the monopoly world. But yeah, I mean the, the the monopolies that we've got across the tech industry mean that these things will always be an issue. Uh, everyone uses WhatsApp, or everyone uses iMessage. Everyone uses an iPhone, or everyone uses a, an Android phone. You know, if, if there's something wrong, if there is a backdoor to be found in one of these operating systems, then anyone with that device mm -hmm. can be targeted. It is particularly concerning as well when you think of countries where human rights abuses are, are commonplace, and uh, you know, if you think about the way that political opposition in China tries to use uh, platforms like. Um, signal like telegram uh, and you've got a tool like this out there then then i imagine a lot of people would, would be quite nervous so with that in mind with everything that you've just said around the fact that if you use technology there isn't really a way that you can protect yourself then regulation would appear to be the only way and edward snowden has suggested it be regulated in the same way as nuclear weapons so how do we go about this you're 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 taking legal action against large tech companies. What's, what's the reality here, the, the way forward to make people feel safe and trust the technology that we all have to use? Uh, global, I mean, global regulation would be a wonderful thing. And the example of, of nuclear uh, nuclear regulation, I mean, is a, is a very powerful one. And it's something I would love to see. Um, but as we kind of spoke about earlier, where is nuclear we can all kind of agree that's just bad. There isn't really, there aren't really states out there um, that think that it would be great to have, you know, lots and lots of nucle nuclear weapons around. Whereas, you know, the, the tech, the tech is, is, is too attractive. It's too cheap. It's too effective um, for, for people that have kind of nefarious intentions. Um, and I, I just cannot see politically um, there being enough will, um, especially in some of those states where some of this really pernicious tech can come out of, um, to to agree on this. And I, again, I'm I wish I had the answer, um, but but I think it would take a greater mind than mine to, to come up with that because it's in the interests of states to have this. You know, it's. It, people want to keep hold of power. How do you do it? Well, you squash the opposition and you squash people's hope and you squash people's ability to organize. Um, and I think, you know, looking around the world, it this is still happening. People still want to do this. And that as long as there's a market for this, there will be organizations like NSO that are, that are producing these kinds of tools. Well, look, it's been fascinating to talk to you. It's obviously a hugely topical 
conversation um, and one that, fingers crossed, um, the the, the ex- exposition by the Guardian will prompt more questions and maybe some first steps to, towards some solutions that can help make the world a little bit safer in, in, in many regards. But Rebecca, thank you very much for your time. Uh, I know that you are very hot at the moment in Cardiff. <laughs> I hope that you can find some respite from the heat. And uh, I, yeah, in, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Right, what did you think about this? It was terrifying. Like, I didn't... The thing is, with stuff like this, I'm actually probably like I am slightly cautious around this sort of stuff because she said that there's a lot of people that would just sort of bury their head in the sand and I am actually sort of quite quite weary or sort of quite aware of it but I didn't yeah I didn't know an awful lot about this whatsoever so it came as a bit of a shock that people are actually like allowed to do this and I think it was a lot of the language as well that was associated with it like when they can like infiltrate your phone and use it as like surveillance devices like it just seems so extreme doesn't it like that that to me like when she was talking about sort of yeah that that sort of language I was like my god that's yeah that is scary I think the scary thing as well is that you don't have to click on anything yeah it just happens doesn't it you know what I was thinking it's like it's literally like someone coming through your front door like several people just walking through your front door going through all your cupboards taking what they want looking at your bills looking at all this sensitive information and you just literally are just sat there and just can't do anything about it i know that's I mean, obviously a very sort of simple no, analogy really, what's really interesting is that that is the apple tv commercial mm. i don't know whether you've seen it but there's a guy oh. walking around shops and increasingly people start following him um so he's like walking around he goes in various different shops more and more people are following him and then by the end of the advert he's sitting on a sofa in his home surrounded by people looking over his shoulder and then it's like he should have chosen iphone and everyone disappears because iphone stops everyone doing that except the apple share price dipped by 2.3 percent this week because pegasus has blown a hole in their whole positioning over the last few years that iphone is somehow the most secure phone by proving that actually iphone is probably the least secure phone Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, I've never seen that advert. That actually sounds, I'm going to go check that out because I mean, yeah, that in itself is, is actually, again, it's like, it's really scary. I know it sounds really stupid when you, you talk about these things, they seem scary. But then when you put it into that context and you actually sort of see it and, and sort of see it in a different way and, and what actually could happen, it, again, it sort of just makes it more real, doesn't it? But yeah, yeah. It, the, the fact that it's it's happening and you just you don't even have to click on anything or you're not the one that's sort of triggering it. They could just come in and and pretty much do what they want. You know, they've got access to like your photos, your camera, your just all this sensitive information. I mean, so many people use their phone now for like um, they're for like the, the Apple Wallet, don't they? They have like their cards and and also their bank details and stuff on there. I mean, to think that somebody could come in and just get all of that again, it's 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 worrying. Like people need to be aware of this sort of stuff like I said I considered myself quite aware but actually listening to this interview checking it out online looking at that article in the Guardian that you mentioned I don't know sort of a a great deal about it at all and I'm sure that there's a lot of people who are pretty much in the exact same boat. I think the concerning thing as well is that you know as Rebecca points out a lot of very literate people saying I haven't got anything to hide and it totally misses the point Mm. because it's like it's not whether or not you've got anything to hide it's still an abuse of power who's Who's giving anybody this? Who who legitimizes the people that are using this device? No one. NSO clearly don't care. They sell a license for seven to eight million dollars per license, mm-hmm. and they're selling it to anybody. It's like 
it has the ability to undermine democratic notions. You know, if, if governments are using it to spy on political opponents, that's not what it's designed for. It's not stopping terrorists. And it's just so naive for people to bury their head in the hat stand and go, I've got nothing to hide. It's like, yeah, but it still affects you. Yeah. And I think she made a really good point about like, and you sort of mentioned it there as well, around sort of like the, I don't know, the accountability and like who, whose responsibility is this? Like everyone's just, again, just kind of passing the buck and passing the blame. So like, who do you go to to actually kind of sort this stuff out? And yeah, there are going to be people that are just sort of not fussed and like you said, say they've got nothing to hide. But again, that isn't the point. Like the point is that someone's coming into your sort of sensitive data, into your phone, that's a kind of a, a private space and then sort of pretty much just has access to whatever they want. Um, and again, she raised a really good point of like, what's right what's wrong and people will say that they've got nothing to hide but obviously there might be stuff on there that can be used for sort of a greater good or can be used for you know that can be sort of sent elsewhere and and again it can be sort of escalated so you just don't know what you're sort of what sort of um that's the point I'm trying to make here but you don't know what it can be used for basically so you know it is naive just to put your head in the sand and just overlook it because yeah I mean they could do anything with any of your stuff pretty much and, and you're a you're in a position where you just can't stop them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, it's a fascinating debate. It's one that obviously we don't have the answers to, so I, I, I don't think there's any point trilling over the ground that we've already spoken about. But Edward Snowden, as we said in the interview, likens it to nuclear weaponry. Um, it's clear that something needs to change. I just hope that enough people do go, you know what, we've got a problem here. Let's, let's, let's try and solve it, rather than burying their head in the sand about it. But uh, Rebecca, thanks for coming and adding some expert uh, insight to this. Um, and uh, we'll go to a quick advert break. Uh, we'll be back in, the, in a minute with something that's slightly more lighthearted. A couple of years ago, Michael and Jacob, two friends from London, were both thinking about their consumption and sustainability as a whole. Michael, a professional footballer at the time, realised he had no options when it came to sustainable sportswear. Overconsumption and underuse was all too common. Hilo was born a sportswear brand fighting for the planet by changing mindsets. They've started with a running shoe made with seven natural materials, and the shoe can be recycled at the end of its life. As a company, they've offset their carbon to beyond zero, making them carbon negative. You can find out more about Hilo and support their mission at hiloathletics.com. That's H-Y-L-O. We support the Hilo movement. Right, Amber, shopping. Yep, shopping. Go on. How have you found shopping online during the pandemic? Have you bought a whole load of clothes, then gone, this isn't really what I wanted, and sent a whole load of stuff back? No, so I did it right at the beginning. I bought like a couple of things. They arrived. I didn't like them. Sent them back. And then I think, oh, yeah, I didn't really do it again from there. I don't really do an on, like an awful lot of on, online shopping. I just like to go and see it in person because I think when you see it online, it obviously is on like a really lovely model. So it looks amazing. So you're like, oh, that'd be great. And then you put it on yourself. You're like, oh, it's not so great. Or like the color and like everything just looks really different. So yeah, I did it once, realized, you know what, I'd rather just hold off and, and actually go to the shops and buy it. So I, I was, uh, I bring this up because I was reading an article about the 10 virtual reality trends to look out for. And VR aided retail shopping or retail from home is one of them. So uh, world of e-commerce skyrocketing in popularity, especially during the pandemic. VR is already partly in uh, e-commerce and reality shopping, but integrations promise to take it to the next level. We're seeing a lot of VR use in retail shopping, such as experiences 
uh, you can experience the dimensions and the size of a product without actually having them in hand. And I thought that was interesting because I was probably guilty of ordering stuff and sending it back during the pandemic, which is not good for the planet from a from a carbon footprint with, you know, taking up kind of delivery and packaging and whatever else. And I just wondered if it was something that you, you know, if, if it was stick on a headset and you could really see that item, whether it would encourage you to shop more or actually if it just makes you yearn to actually go and do the real thing. Oh, I, I don't know how I feel about that. I think it's a cool idea. I don't know if it would still match the actual experience. Like, I think I'd do it maybe like once. Like it's, to so it's a gimmick, but it's, yeah. it's not going to replace going to a shop for you. No, I'd, yeah, I, I think that's the perfect way to put it, really. I think, yeah, I think I'd like to give it a try just to see what it's like. But again, I just like to be in person in the shop because I don't know. There's just something about it. Like, it's just you actually get to see the stuff like oh I know we haven't been able to try it on but you can sort of you can feel it like say sometimes the material turns up and it's not like great quality or it's not what you expected so I don't really think it can sort of replace that sort of side of things so again it's just like looking at it on a screen which for me just yeah it's just not not really sort of doing doing the trick to be honest you know one way one one way that VR would really make an impact go on what's that Booking holidays. Right now, everyone's desperate for a holiday. You go online, you go on booking.com, you look at a hotel room, you see some standard pictures of a hotel, and you're like, is it right for me, isn't it? If you could stick on a VR headset, walk into the room, and have a look what the view was from a particular room before booking it, bet that would make you want to buy it or buy that holiday more. Because if you stood on a balcony and went, that's the sea view I could have, God, yes, please take me there. That's where VR would make a big difference. That's actually such a good idea. A lot That's of companies have been looking at it for a while. Good idea. I'm just surprised it hasn't come through quicker. I don't know why, why you don't see it more in, in the travel industry. No, that's a perfect idea. I'd actually would love that because, like you say, you can, well, you just, yeah, you just go and look at it as if you're actually on holiday and then you get the bug, like you get a taste of it and then you're like, yeah. right, let's just let's book it. I want it. that view. I yeah. want that view. Oh, Dave, you know what? I think you're onto something there. You should actually... Oh, no, this, this is not me coming up with a new idea. Oh, this right. I thought this there. was your idea. No, I was no, like, no, Dave, no. write in or something. Or, no, yeah. no, no. I just don't know why more travel agencies don't offer that as a, just, a, just as a way to make sales. It would make it use, It would entice people so much more. So I don't know. The technology exists, so I don't know why it's not available more readily. Yeah, no, it is a really good idea, actually. But I reckon with something like that, it can work both ways like it probably will go that people go there and they really really like it but equally you might put the headset on and then it doesn't really live up to your expectations oh, come on, like, it's be better. It's be better. I, I don't know I just feel like sometimes you might go in and then when you see a picture you can obviously you just see it from the angle like it's like when you you buy a house they obviously put the best pictures on and they give you the best angle and it makes it look bigger and it makes it look, look amazing. And then sometimes you walk in, you're like, oh, it's not quite actually living up to expectations. Well, I, I think it would heighten the buzz. But I take, I take your point. But, I mean, we could all do with a holiday. So I'm sure there's people probably sat at home listening thinking, no, I will I will absolutely step into a VR holiday room and uh, a hotel room. And um, I might yeah. just sit there until I actually get to go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right, look, thank you for your time. No uh, worries enjoy the olympics oh yeah i will be tuning in and i will be signing up to be a gymnast straight after <laughs> wonderful stuff have a lovely weekend and you see you later
feel the satisfaction 